US businessman Dan Friedkin takes Redbird over. has recently made waves. MLB and NBA appear to be the leaders. Ed Sheeran becomes Ipswich Township. Saudi Prince adds French side Chateau. NFL finalises new 11-year media rights deal with Amazon. In 2019, Atlanta United was ranked the most valuable Major League Soccer franchise at 500 million US dollars. In 2021, following a global pandemic, Atlanta United has been valued at 845 million US dollars, but it was pipped for first place. I'm Reese Lenarduzzi, and this is Sportonomic, a podcast sponsored by Athlon Partners. In this episode, stemming from the recent Sportico valuations of Major League Soccer teams, I look at the controversial gap in numbers since the Forbes valuations in 2019 and consider the state of football in the Americas, with a particular focus on the frequently floated idea of the MLS and the Mexican League, the Liga MX, joining forces to challenge Europe for the centerpiece of football. My first guest is Roger Mitchell, former CEO of the Scottish Professional Football Leagues, former UEFA Professional Football Committee member, a chartered accountant and finance guy. He's now a C-suite, music, sport and related tech consultant, a corporate financier and early stage investor advisor, all through firm Alba Chiara. He's also host of the podcast, Are You Not Entertained? Just one of the mediums where he's expressed some very interesting sentiments about football and its future in the Americas in comparison to Europe. My second guest is Jordan Gardner. He's a sports executive with a diversified multi-club investment portfolio in football and wine. Jordan is currently chairman of the board, managing director and co-owner for Danish club FC Helsingor. His investment portfolio also includes a minority stake in Swansea City AFC, co-ownership of 2020-2021 Europa League participant Dundalk FC, and he was part of an investment group bidding on an Australian A-League expansion franchise. He is featured in Forbes, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, The Athletic, and many more publications. He is an American who has not invested in the MLS, and he provides some very interesting insights as to why. Major League Soccer is just a quarter century old. Its birth sprang right out of the 1994 FIFA World Cup hosted by the United States. That World Cup broke overall and average attendance records that stood unbroken until 2018. The designated player rule, nicknamed the David Beckham rule for perhaps obvious reasons, revolutionised and legitimised that competition as a genuine destination league for top players. The rule allows Major League Soccer franchises to sign up to three players outside of the salary cap. Players like Kaka, Nani, Wayne Rooney, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Steven Gerrard, Vlatan Ibrahimovic, David Villa, Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill are just some of the players that ended up in the MLS courtesy of the Beckham rule. And these are just some of the reasons that North America is taken very seriously nowadays as opposed to yesteryear in the football world. Despite a year where one third of the season was cancelled due to COVID-19, empty stadiums, and a reported $1 billion revenue shortfall for the MLS. Recent transactions tell another story about the health of the league. Houston Dynamo FC was sold earlier in 2021 to New York businessman Ted Sagel for a reported $400 million and at 13 times revenue. The Will family added Orlando City Soccer Club to their sports investment portfolio that includes Minnesota Vikings NFL franchise. 
a deal that included the Orlando Pride of the National Women's Soccer League, Exploria Stadium and all related soccer assets, the Orlando City Academy and Youth Soccer Network, and the club's two official training facilities. The total purchase price was reported to be in the $400 to $450 million range, 10 times revenue. And yet it is not the sales so much that are making the headlines and rather, the recent valuations according to data compiled by Sportico. Here's a rapid fire summary. The average MLS franchise is worth 550 million US dollars. LAFC ranks first at 860 million dollars. Colorado Rapids rank last at 370 million dollars. Meaning, the average MLS club is worth more than every Premier League club outside of the Big Six, per Sportico's calculations. I asked Roger Mitchell his thoughts on the valuations. Uh, valuation, I guess, is always in the, the eye of the beholder. You know, there's two ways to look at valuation. You know, I, I'm a finance guy and, you know, I'm quite familiar with all the theory in this. There's two ways to look at valuation. One is um, assessing fundamentals, where you look at um, multiples of revenue, of profits, EBITDA, things like that. Um, the other way, which is becoming very prevalent now in, in the world of um, passive investing, if I can say that, is flow of money. And here in sports properties in general, and specifically in, in um, American soccer, the flow of money into these franchises has been been overwhelming for, for I think, a number of reasons. You know, we, we live in a world now where there's not a lot of yield around, so people are interested in looking at uh, alternative assets, non-correlated assets, and, and sport fits that bill. You know, they're bidding up the prices um, in a franchise that is still within their means. I think this is important. You know, the major American sport franchises now are, are what, two, three, four, five billion. That, that restricts the, the, the buying audience very, very, very significantly. So your, your, your run of the mill 500 million net worth uh, celebrity wants to get into sport because it's cool, because LeBron's in there, Natalie Portman's in there, Will Ferrell's in there, Matthew McConaughey, they, they want to be part of it. Um, MLS is interesting. So I, I would suggest that one of the reasons is, is flow of money and not so much fundamentals. In response to the breaking story of the MLS valuations, Roger posted on LinkedIn, Are You Not Entertained podcast has discussed MLS valuations often over the last year. We've also predicted an eventual merge with Mexico and Canada. And God knows we've been the main voice in questioning relegation in European football. LAFC is valued highest at over $800 million. It's a super exciting club and owner. Well done to them. He also wrote, I'd like to say this now. Given the governance shambles, the debt and disagreements in European football, it is not impossible that the centre of gravity of association football moves across the Atlantic. Don't say you weren't warned. I asked him to speak to this post. This is a long uh, macro uh, answer, but I think it's important. Um, there's two, three things coming into play here. One is the trend, especially young, among younger generations, to value much more the athlete over the club, the franchise, the league, and everything like that. Uh, that puts much more power and value into the hand of who has the athlete in that moment in time. Secondly, I would say that we have seen that European football is struggling with 
its traditional legacy. Many people say tradition in sport is a wonderful thing. In many ways, it, it's baggage. It's baggage. And, and if you look at what happened in the European Super League, there are a lot of reasons to say that European football isn't working. And we may get into that later. But, you know, governance is wrong. There is a polarisation between um, what I call Hollywood clubs, the top the half dozen, uh, two dozen, uh, and and the rest. The, the way that they are organised just now around geographical lines uh, is a little bit, you know, I use that analogy of the record business I used to work in with, uh, with the LP, where you had hits and fillers. So if you take a league like the English Premiership, you've got six top teams and, and, and 14 fillers. And, you know, they're sold together in a bundle and Teg doesn't like that. So, you know, I look at these things, I say European football is struggling. It's struggling to, 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 to drop that baggage. It's struggling to find a way uh, forward to solve all these problems. Whereas North American or even South American football, the Americas, they don't have any of that. Uh, they do have, as I said to you, this wonderful flow of money from, I would say, it's all getting all together now, you know, whether it's celebrity money, angels, VCs, private equity. So what, what I would call uh, uh, fresh capital together with celeb p- pooling power. And, you know, and, and I would say to you something like this, you know, there is a scenario where somebody gets hold of, let's call it a merged America's League and says, look, if we bring in the top 30, 40 players globally, and we just make make them play in our teams. We finance that. That, in my view, automatically shifts the balance of power to a continent that doesn't have any of this baggage, doesn't have any of this legacy, and is much more attuned to the modern world of finance, celebrity, and everything we talked about. So, you know, a scenario where um, the leagues merge, Somebody like Apple says, I want to own soccer. Um, they put money into this new merged league and, and let the, the underlying franchises uh, go and get the best players in the world to play there. I think that's being underestimated as a potential threat by European football and UEFA. One of the key distinctions between Europe and a league like the MLS, especially when it comes to investment, is promotion and relegation. I asked Roger to speak to this point and provide some insights as to how an institutional investor or media juggernaut might see things. You know, one of the problems in sport is that you've got within the same sport so many different governing bodies. You know, uh, you can see it. You you choose your sport and, and I can name you three or four governing bodies. What are they doing today? They are trying to grow their top line by just throwing more and more competition and games under their governing body hat into the sport that the players need to deal with. You know, that's that's true for rugby. Um, it's true for cricket. Um, certainly true for football. When we talk about a World Cup every two years, we talk about a World Cup. What I'm saying is this is shambolic. So if somebody just basically says, look, forget all this Champions League leagues, we're just going to do like an NFL. We're going to put together, you know, a certain amount of teams we're going to have them have the best talent in the world and we'll make them play each other. And that will be it, you know. Um, th- th- that's the that's what I see, you know, and that takes you into what I think is the, 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 key, the key threat and the, the key difficulty 
uh, of European football, which is the the R word, the relegation word. Um, why is why are European clubs valued at a fraction of uh, MLS clubs? If you look at LAFC, that's what now estimated to be worth eight hundred million dollars, and you look at a Newcastle that's in the Premiership, that's maybe at a push um, in dollars, maybe four hundred million. Um, one of the reasons is that uh, Newcastle can get relegated to a lower league uh, with significantly lower revenues, and you know their their branding, their ability to attract players, the attractiveness for Gen Z, uh, overseas strategy, all of that goes overnight. Um, European football, as I said to you, for tradition, legacy, baggage, um, loves relegation, and I think that is massively dampening uh, the valuations. Uh, and, and potentially is the weak point that an aggressive bidder, whether that is a finance bidder or whether it is a media bidder, uh, goes to uh, the America's League and, 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 and tries to do what I said before. I think relegation or not having it is a real competitive advantage. LAFC's Sportico valuation was seriously headline stuff. Roger refers to LAFC as a super exciting club and ownership. I asked him to tell us more about how he thinks they have built this juggernaut of an asset and why they're exciting. I think you need to start always with an understanding that many people don't like in sport that we are in show business. Sport is now entertainment. It's now a show business. Uh, LA is the show business capital of the world. Um, This club has got investors and shareholders to die for in terms of celebs and in terms of people that can make things happen in that city. With the guys that will feral, you know, like, you know, you get a whole lot of what the kids call these days beef and, and, you know, backstory and to and fro. You know, there was one recently with Matthew McConaughey, I think, in Austin. He's involved in Austin. You know, so once you say, mate, that sport is entertainment, sport is show business, it becomes very clear that uh, a well-run, well-financed, cool, because, you know, that's how things work. You know, you know, I always remember the, the phrase, what do you sell in, in Hollywood? You're selling heat, you know, you're not selling talent, you're selling heat. Who's hot in this moment? Who can open a movie? Who can, who can get subscription numbers? And, 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 you know, LAFC has got all of those elements already. And uh, the other thing I would say, just because I know them a wee bit, is that they're very, very forward looking in terms of using tech. You know, one of my clients, Zone 7, works with them. So, you know, they, they are understanding that we're in the second wave of, of moneyball and sport where the use of machine learning and AI and algorithms around recruitment and tactical uh, awareness are going to change things dramatically. And from what I see, they seem to be at the forefront of that. So, mate, what's not to like? They're in the, the, the showbiz capital. They've got celeb backers. They're a modern multi-club strategy in a lot of ways. And, 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 you know, um, they've got a great local rival in Galaxy. That's where the action's going to be in, in my mind. I'm not saying the valuation is right. This is an important thing to say. You know, guys like me that come from a more fundamentalist uh, Austrian economic background about value, valuing things, we can do our head in about, you know, this thing is valued at 10 times revenues. Are we mad? I always say don't, don't deal with the world the way you would like it to be. Deal with the world the way it is. And we're in a world where Tesla is valued where it is. Now, so, so we are in a flow of money valuation paradigm. And the flow of money is going into the America's soccer industry. 
Drawing Rogers' attention to his statement, it is not impossible that the centre of gravity of association football moves across the Atlantic. I asked him to further unpack what is to some unfathomable and how that could happen. Well, that's a little bit what I said before about Apple or somebody big just basically saying, let's just attract the athletes because that's what attracts the eyeballs now. Uh, we may not be able to compete with European football in terms of the names of the franchises like a Man United or Juventus or a Barcelona, but this is becoming less and less important. What is more important is Messi, Mbappe, um, and, and, and all the individuals. <laughs> they, they are assets for hire. They are hired guns just finance to buy them uh, and and bring over uh, to an industry that uh, doesn't have the baggage, has better governance, doesn't have the problem of relegation, um, has wage caps, which means that is intrinsically set up to be a, a sustainable business. But as you see in, in, in Europe, um, the, you know, the, the, the financial fair play of UEFA was blown away by Man City and PSG. And then when you see the, you know, the lower league, um, of in England trying to get into the premiership, it's called a championship. All those clubs are bankrupting themselves trying to get into the, 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 the hallowed, uh, uh, premiership. Um, as a business, as an economic model, European football is not working. It just isn't. So, uh, you look at an industry and again, I put my finance investor hat on and, and you say, well, where are they strong and where is the competitor strong? And do you do your SWAT? I'm just seeing a SWAT looking a lot better in North America. Roger caps off with what he sees as the immediate opportunities in sports investments more generally. Incredible insights from someone who is very much across the space and he has some great advice for those new to sports investment. I do a little bit of work uh, with an investor club myself uh, modestly uh, looking at, uh, to back the kind of sport tech investments uh, I do through my own company. You know, the investments I, I, I've done just now, it's the easiest way to answer your question, I think. Zone 7 I mentioned, which is uh, AI applied to injury prevention. Um, I've got uh, another company, an Australian company called Aura, which uh, I think is going to redefine the the the, the consumption of sport uh, in an integrated way. I like to call it the new operating system for uh, consuming sport and entertainment, whether that's in a connected phone or a, mo- a connected TV or a mobile. Um, so I think that world of bringing everything together in one place. Uh, Done well, I think that's going to change things dramatically. We, we see how the kids operate. They, they, they are doing a million things while they're consuming something almost in the background by now. You know, whether it's buying NFTs or whether they're playing a fantasy game or whether they want to bet or, you know, uh, all, all these things, you need to do that better. So I, I think that's another big opportunity. I like the, the, the world of the metaverse, uh, for sport, uh, digital goods. Uh, I think, you know, if you link that to, um, you know, how much, how important not only the athletes are becoming uh, central, but also the key influencers, what I like to call the super fans. I think if, you know, build communities around them, then those communities can be used to access, you know, how, you know, the metaverse works and how they pay for virtual goods and digital props and things like that. I, I, I own a company called Entourage in that area. Um, and then, you know, two other things I would just throw your way. There's so many we can talk about. 
One is challenger leaks. You know, you'll have had an idea here that I'm not a big fan of, you know, the traditional governance of sport with the governing bodies and international federations. I think they're old and tired. I think new organizations, I'll throw two or three at you just now. One is the professional triathlon organization that is funded by Michael Morris of Sequoia. Um, another one is Sail GP funded by Larry Ellison. Both of these are taking very sleepy sports, let's call them Olympic sports, uh, that are totally neglected for, apart from, you know, three, three weeks every four years uh, and, and making them uh, year-round narratives. I'm a big fan of um, Challenger Leagues, the, you know, drone racing, um, you name it. There, there's a lot of them going, out, going on there. And, and, and then, you know, you can't ignore, you know, some of us might not like it, but you can't ignore the huge impact of the opening of the the US betting market. I see a lot of big private equity companies getting into sports. And although it's not said this, one of the main reasons is that they see the angle for betting in the US. So uh, the tech, you know, new ways to consume, uh, understanding Gen Z and the metaverse, um, uh, various franchises if you know what you're doing everybody you know a lot of people come to me and say I want to buy a club here I want to buy a club there and I say well what's your reason why do you want to do that and and most of them are weak reasons and they're 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 poor reasons um if you know what you're doing if you're disciplined if you're going to be long term you've got a chance if you think it's you know flavor of the month and you can flip it it will suck the life out of you it will suck you in even a small club, it will suck you in, you will get totally consumed. And then it's a little bit like a boat. You know, there's, there's, there's two moments of happiness when you buy it and when you sell it. That's the same for sports franchises, unless you know what you're doing. After the break, I speak to Jordan Gardner about why he hasn't invested in the MLS and what it would need to look like for him to do so. Having learned that in the US alone, more people watch the Mexican Soccer League, the Liga MX, than Major League Soccer and the Premier League combined. Al Tylist, investor in DC United in the MLS, Swansea City AFC, the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL, and G2 Esports and Epic Games, was all the more excited about the opportunity in Mexican football. And so was actress Eva Longoria, footballer Mesut Ozil, baseballer Justin Verlander, model and actress Kate Upton, former NBA stars Rip Hamilton, Sean Marion and Victor Aladipo, as well as Olympic skier Bode Miller, who all joined Tylus to form the investment group that acquired 50% of Club Nakaksa. Shortly after, Club Nakaksa sold 1% permanent equity ownership for $1.5 million as an NFT. Combining the stat that more people watch the Liga MX than Major League Soccer and the Premier League combined, this well-publicized deal, and the MLS valuations, the conversations around a potential merger with the US and Mexican leagues have once again kicked off. You heard Roger Mitchell's views earlier, but I wanted to present both sides of what is increasingly becoming a contentious topic. I asked Jordan Gardner about his thoughts on the state of the MLS and surrounds why he hasn't invested, and what it would need to look like for him to invest. We started off by discussing what measures, benchmarks, and critiques he looks at when investing in football clubs, and how they differ fundamentally from other perhaps more mainstream investments. 
Yeah, I mean, I think investments in sports in general and football clubs, it, it's a whole different beast than, you know, a non-sports related investment. I think, you know, obviously we're looking for businesses that are relatively healthy in terms of a balance sheet that doesn't always, and that isn't always the case, right? A lot of the clubs uh, that are out there for sale are certainly distressed in many ways. Um, so, you know, infrastructure certainly is important, whether that's stadium, uh, whether that's academy, whether that's geographic location, obviously most European football clubs don't own their stadiums versus let's say North America. So it's more about what's your stadium lease, what are the relationships like in your, mun- your municipality. So there's a lot of kind of things that you want to look at. Certainly, you know, figuring out what market, because each market is very different, whether we're in Denmark or you're in France or you're in Spain, are you in the top division? Are you in the third division? Um, are you in a club that's going for, you know, gunning for promotion or are you a club that's more focused on developing and selling players? So there's a lot of different variables, and I think it kind of comes back to each investment group's thesis and business model as to why they end up in which place. But you know, generally, I would say um, you're looking, hopefully, in an ideal world for healthy businesses with good infrastructure and good geographic locations. Naturally, one's interest in investing in a football club hinges on one's appeal and understanding of the model of the league that a particular football club sits within. I asked Jordan to speak to the differences between Europe and North America on this front, given his own investment journey. I also asked him about some specific changes that he thinks could make things better in certain contexts, though he concedes that culturally, some things may never change. Well, the certainly the MLS model is a totally different, more kind of secure model, right? You don't have to deal with your club getting relegated. You have a centralized governance from a league perspective. Um, you have high growth potential, obviously. You have a, you know, a market in the United States where soccer certainly isn't the most popular sport, similar to where you guys are at in Australia. So there's a lot of growth potential. What you don't have is a robust domestic player transfer market. What you don't have is opportunities to come in and add value by getting your clubs promoted. And certainly you have a product that is inferior both to the global game, in a sense, and inferior to other competitive sports in North America. So it's completely different. Um, I think when you look at European football, certainly there's components to the business that are failing. Financial fair play is a joke. It's not enforced. Uh, I think the only real models of some sort of constraints you have Spain they don't have a salary cap but they have kind of you can only spend a certain percentage of the revenue you bring in so that has helped clubs not spend like crazy but I mean you still see clubs in Spain for instance like Barcelona that are uh, run pretty poorly and in really you know poor financial state so I think the problem with European football is you have very very little regulation if any uh, it's kind of this wild west where Owners with as much money as they want can spend as much money as they want. And one day, if they decide to stop spending, then the whole model collapses. You know, certainly the pandemic has created a lot of challenges in that model. So um, it's a different model. It's broken in some ways. It's also a model that's probably not going to change in any other ways. It's always going to be very top heavy with a lot of very wealthy individuals uh, bankrolling big clubs. And frankly, MLS to a certain extent is like that. It's just it's a different kind of investment for a different investor with uh, probably a different appetite for what they're looking for for investments in the sport of soccer. I mean, I think the problem is there's no appetite for regulation, uh, whether that's legal with EU and competition laws is another question. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the answer to that. But you know, certainly in an ideal world, you would have wage constraints, certainly spending caps, salary caps, you might even want to have something like revenue sharing like you have in the United States where some of the money trickles down from the bigger clubs that let's say that in the Champions League to smaller clubs. Maybe you have a little bit of that in domestic leagues. None of that's ever going to happen. It's just not the way things are done in Europe. Things are done in a different way and that's the way they do things. So I think we can talk about 
clubs being run more efficiently and um, spending less money and, you know, ways you can you know, kind of cap the amount of spending. But that's just it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. Next up, I asked Jordan what he thought of the recent MLS club valuations. I think the MLS valuations are absurd and horribly inflated. Uh, you know, you have MLS teams. Again, valuations are only what was written on a piece of paper. Some of the clubs have been selling small minority stakes at certain valuations. Those are not the same as a club being valued at X. So, if, you know, if my club, if we sell 5% of an MLS club for an $800 million valuation, that doesn't mean the club's worth $800 million as a 100% asset. That means a small percentage of it is, right? So I think people a little bit look at the small minority stakes sometimes that can sell and kind of extrapolate that out. Um a lot of MLS valuations, you're just you're just paying growth. You're saying, cool, you know, if I get in now at 500 million, it's going to be worth 1.5 billion in 20 years, right? And you know, I guess I understand that to a certain extent, but to me, if you know, you got you look at a business which MLS clubs are that is is doing a limited amount of revenue and has a pretty poor television deal, and your television media rights are quite poor, and your your viewership is quite poor. And so that's the global driver of revenue when it comes to the sport. And so you have clubs that are trading at 10, 12, 15 times revenue with these valuations. And there's no business in the world that should be trading at those kind of valuations. I think the business model of MLS is sound. I think they're in a good place right now. I just think these valuations are frankly absurd. I mean, if I'm an owner of an MLS team and my valuation, I mean, the local team here that we have in San Jose uh, is completely and utterly irrelevant in this market, has very little traction. Uh, has not done well in the field and overnight over one year during a global pandemic supposedly the valuation went from like 300 million to 500 million like how the hell does that happen right there's no one i know anywhere here that thinks that team is worth 500 million dollars so um i think it is a pr strategy from the league and that's great for them if i was an owner in the league i'm sure i'd be really happy about it but from the outside looking in it makes no sense beyond what jordan has just said I wanted to get even greater feel for why he, as an American and a football multi-club investor, hasn't invested in the MLS and what kind of MLS opportunity he would need to come across to invest in or see as an opportunity he just couldn't pass on. So partly it's because we just spoke out the valuations are crazy and I don't I don't believe that the clubs are worth what they're being supposedly sold for. So that's number one. Number two, on a personal level, I come from an entrepreneurial background. And so for me, European football is more attractive. We can take a club, a small club, like we have our club in Denmark and, you know, clean it up and do really interesting things and get that club promoted, right? Right now we're one step from being in the Danish Superliga, which is the top division in all Scandinavia. You know, we can identify and develop and sell players, which you don't see a ton of in MLS. A couple teams are starting to do it, but for the most part, it's, it's certainly underdeveloped. So MLS is a North American sports model where you get in and you sit on your asset and you wait for it to appreciate. And hopefully in a, you know, 25 years, it's appreciated three, four, five, 10 X, right? And that's great. I have no problem with that. It just doesn't make sense for me. I think if I'm going to invest in sports, I need interesting entrepreneurial opportunities and interesting high growth opportunities. And I think MLS where it's at right now is just oversaturated. And it's kind of at the point where um, things are inflated and getting in now, I mean, if you'd gotten MLS 10 years ago, I'd say that makes a ton of sense. Like I, we're interested in Australia, right? I think uh, the A-League, for instance, I think has a lot of similar characteristics to MLS at similar price points that MLS was 15 or 20 years ago. But if A-League teams were, were trading at 500 million Aussie, people would be like, no, that makes no sense. So it's kind of a similar outlook. Returning to the frequently circled idea of the American and Mexican leagues joining forces, 
I asked Jordan his thoughts on the differences between the leagues, the future, and if he sees a world where the MLS and Liga MX merge. So there are significant differences between the two leagues. Um, Liga MX is a little bit more of a European style league. You know, they, they had promotion relegation up until recently when they suspended it. So you had that. Um, you know, the Mexican league is different in its structure a little bit. They have two seasons. Um, and so it goes a little bit more on the European calendar. So it's a different seasons. You have conglomerates generally that own a handful of the clubs. It's, it's less, the ownership structure is decentralized, obviously, but you still have a couple of people that own a lot of the biggest clubs. Um, I think we're starting to trend towards the point where the, the Mexican league wants to be more in the mold of MLS. And I, I, people talk about the two leagues combining, and I don't see that happening anytime soon in any sort of official way. That doesn't mean that two leagues can't combine and play competitions like they currently do now. But the league is so popular in the United States that I think they're finally coming around to the fact that there's revenue opportunities uh, building the brand of League MX in the United States. So I think, you know, I think they have an opportunity over the next probably 10 years to bring in new and diversify their investment groups a little bit more, professionalize the league because you do have a lot of clubs that are, you know, I mean, Mexico in some ways is a third world country. So you have endemic corruption down there. You have, you know, multinational conglomerates owning clubs. You have lots of issues that you probably wouldn't run into in the United States. Um, So I think professionalization is one area where there's a pretty big gap between the two leagues. Certainly from a valuation perspective, Mexican clubs are valued much, much less. So I think there's opportunity there as well. Um, The one biggest difference I would say is their television deal is decentralized. So in MLS, the television deal is done by the league and all the teams split the revenue. And in in League MX, each team negotiates the television deal themselves. And partly that's because a handful of the teams are owned by television companies or people who own television companies. So that's difficult, right? Because if you're a Chivas or America, one of the big clubs, you're getting an amazing TV deal. But if you're, I don't know, uh, San Luis or one of these teeny tiny clubs, you're basically getting very little from the television. So it creates this disparity between the best teams and the the bottom-rung teams. And so I think that's something... Eventually, they're going to have to figure out. It's it's a conversation that the Premier League, for instance, has had in that it's great to have three, four, five big teams at the top, but you need 20 teams to fill out the league and you need interesting fixtures week in, week out. And so a league is only as, as strong as its worst and smallest club. And so I think they're starting to realize that in Mexico a little bit. So that they're doing that already. They're having these like Champions Cup matches. They've had it for a couple of years. I mean, is it something that's got a lot of traction? Not really. I mean, anytime a, a Mexican team comes up and plays in the United States – whether it's a friendly or a manufacturer competition or it's the CONCACAF Champions League, there's always interest in that. But beyond that kind of cross-border kind of, I don't want to say exhibition competitions, you know, the Mexican all-star teams from League MX are playing the MLS all-stars this year in an all-star game. But there's, there's, there's no scenario that I see where there's a joint actual structure between the two leagues that's merged in any sort of official capacity. I think there's too many hurdles there going all the way up from FIFA, all the way down to the governance structure uh, in MLS. I mean, the owners in MLS, they own the league, right? And so to bring in 20 new teams from Mexico, I'm not even sure how that would work. You still do have promotion relegation in Mexico. Uh, There's a lot of challenges. Of course, there's massive upside, right? If If I'm the owner of the LA Galaxy and I'm thinking, wow, we're playing Chivas this week in a league game, like that's incredible for your brand. But I just logistically don't see it happening. With the average value of an MLB team at $2.2 billion, NBA at $2.4 billion, and NFL at $3.1 billion, we are talking around four, five, and six times higher average value of teams in those sports. However, 
There is clearly significant optimism when it comes to MLS trajectory, with MLS clubs being valued at 12 times revenue on average, almost double that of the NFL at 6.2, and MLB at 6.4, and NBA teams at 7.8 times revenue. This is the ultimate watch this space sports market, whether it be in relation to a potentially closer relationship between the MLS and the Liga MX, and whether that might amount to monumental media rights deals, or whether the value of the teams and league just continue to grow on their own accord following the current trajectory. Perhaps the main traditional factor to take into account within all of this is the quality of football, which has obviously grown exponentially since the MLS's birth, but will need to continue on the same path as a product for the league and teams to justify these astonishing valuations. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sportonomic. Make sure you find the show, follow and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. A huge thank you to this week's guests, Roger Mitchell and Jordan Gardner. Thank you to our sponsors, Athlon Partners. You can find further detail at www.athlonpartners.com. And thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter, at Reese Lenarduzzi. Sportonomic is an afternoon sport group production.